never know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves. This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Why, hello, superhumans. It's Boomer Anderson here, host of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. Thank you for tuning in once again. And if my voice were an emotion or an expression, it would be a smile right now because I'm so excited for today's guest. We've talked about EMF on the show before, and one of the reasons why I wanted to go back into this subject is because I do think it is very important. And my guest today has a ton of scientific rigor on the subject. Well, who's my guest? My guest, in case you couldn't see from the show title, is Daniel Debon. Daniel Debon is an internationally recognized expert in EMF radiation, EMF shielding, and EMF health-related issues. He is especially focused on the effect of exposure from mobile devices such as laptops. Yes, gents, you might want to take that off your lap for this one. Tablets and cell phones. Daniel's concern regarding the health impact of EMF emissions grew from over 30 years of engineering experience in the telecommunications industry. So he's got insider knowledge as to what is actually going on. He's held a variety of executive positions at SAIC, Telcordia, AT&T, and Bell Labs. Daniel is the co-author of Radiation Nation, The Fallout of Modern Technology, and he's the founder of a company that I absolutely love called Defender Shield. So what did Daniel and I get into? Well, we redefined EMF for everyone. And we got specifically into what happens when you have an overexposure of EMF, particularly if you're EMF sensitive, to you at the cellular level and what that actually means for you. We talked about the long-term implications of EMF. We get Daniel's thoughts on 5G. And then finally, you get your bite-sized pieces of really actionable information on how you could protect yourself from EMF. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash DefenderShield. And Daniel and I had such a good time that he wanted to give you guys a discount. So if you go over to DefenderShield.com right now and you plug in Superhuman20, Daniel has been kind enough to give all of the Superhuman listeners out there 20% off any purchase of his products. But really, I really hope you just enjoy this episode. And if you want to find out more about Daniel and his company, you can go over to DefenderShield.com. Enjoy the episode, superhumans. The sponsor for today's podcast is Neurohacker Collective. The chairman, Jordan Greenhall, has been on the show to talk about one of my favorite topics and episodes to date, sovereignty. And the medical director has also been on the show to talk about unleashing your human potential through epigenetics. That's Dr. Daniel Stickler. But why do I love Neurohacker Collective so much? Well, frankly, it upgrades me on a day-to-day basis. Actually, I take their products five out of seven days of the week. Their original Qualia stack is something that I absolutely and still thoroughly enjoy. It's packed with over 40 premium brain nutrients to immediately enhance your focus, energy, mood, creativity, and all while supporting your health. Their new flagship nootropic, Qualia Mind, is a premium nootropic supplement that helps support mental performance and brain health. And frankly, with both products, I do not get the crashes that I commonly get with nootropics and other supplements. So I want you to go over to their website and check it out when you have a chance. It's neurohacker.com, and if you subscribe, you get 15% off by using the code BOOMER. If you want to just do a one-time purchase, you get 10% off, again, using that code BOOMER. And while you're there, pick up their free foundational guide to neurohacking. It's definitely worth checking out. But please, enjoy the show. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate an opportunity to share with with your audience some uh, very important information about the body and how we protect it. It's uh, it's going to be a good conversation, and I think why don't we start off by defining terms because we've talked about EMF before on the show, but if you don't mind, just sort of defining EMF uh, for the audience before we go a little bit of a deep dive here. Alrighty, um, electromagnetic radiation, w- which is EM 
R is the same as EMF, electromagnetic frequencies. So when we talk about these kinds of things, we're talking about emissions from somewhere. Um, we were never really worried about it too much 20 years ago, what the emissions were from our, our environment. But today, we have all these devices around us, our cell phones, our laptops, our tablets, all of them most oftentimes touching our body. So the way these devices communicate is they generate electromagnetic frequencies. Um, these frequencies are used because they need to connect to something like a Wi-Fi, like, like a cell phone tower, um, like a Bluetooth device. These are all transmissions. They're intentional transmissions of the devices that emit from the devices around our body. It also, by the way, there is emissions that are uh, byproducts of electronics operating. Um, and those electronics um, also admit a three-dimensional electro combination of electro and magnetic transmissions. And um, they're also something you need to be worried about. Now, now these emissions are omnidirectional. That means like when you turn your cell phone on to talk to your friend to a cell and, and they're at the other end, that signal starts and connects to the cell tower, but it's emanating everywhere in your environment. That is, if you take your little finger and you, and, and you pretend it's a transmitter, think of a little ball growing and growing and growing and growing and growing in all directions until it hits the cell tower, which by the way can be five miles away. <laughs> so obviously these waves are interacting with us. And one of the, one of the things that I, I want to get my head around is sort of what this exactly does to a cell in a human body, because I know you have an extremely technical background and your book is brilliant, but I want to uh, do a little bit of a deep dive in terms of how this would affect a cell in a human body. So let's talk about what the electromagnetic frequency does to the human body, it's not only just a cell of a body, but it's also the systems of a body. For example, there are over 4,000 systems within our body. When you generate melatonin, for example, that's, that, it, 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 it's, it's being created in your, your body. And these kinds of technologies that are around us, they actually influence and change the behavior of systems of our body. So, so you got to think of it is you got to worry about the systems, but from a cell perspective, this is what happens. And, and by the way, we've learned this over the last five years or so. The cell is, has a shield around it. That shield protects you, the cell itself, from breaking down in the presence of any toxin, any toxin, including the toxins that are electromagnetic frequency. They're a toxin in our environment. So, so what happens is when a cell phone is communicating with a cell tower, it starts touching the cell. It starts hitting the cell. Well, most cells will be fine with it for some period of time. Then they start weakening. As they begin weakening, Protein from one cell to the adjacent cell actually is diminished. So you now have a breakdown of the cell and its ability to be healthy to its adjacent cells. The other thing that happens is if it's too much constant load to the cell, the, the actually the cell opens up and calcium channel within the body, calcium literally enters into the cell and it's actually uh, oxide is starting to build up within the cell itself. And then there's a bunch of other things that happen within the cell when, it, when that's uh, being penetrated. But then as a net result, you have stranded DNA, 
you have um, you have mutated cells. So all of a sudden, it's not just near term. It bothers me kind of thing when I'm when I'm exposed to these things. They can be very long term because now they're actually changing the cells at a biological fundamental level. So we can in fact change our DNA by using too many electronics. Do I have that right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I guess um, just a couple of points here on the, because for a lot of people escaping technology is not an option. And I want to get to that in a little bit, but some people aren't or, or don't appear to be electromagnetically sensitive. Is it the case that everyone is experiencing this bombardment or is it only certain subsets of people? Absolutely. Everyone is bombarded. How they react can be a function of genetics, can be a function of conditions, body conditions. For example, if, you're, if you have um, um, a blood-brain barrier breakdown, and that's a protection to the, the, the brain, all of a sudden, where you are protected from an electromagnetic radiation signal easily, all of a sudden, you're not so much protected anymore. It used to be this wasn't a big deal, right? Because our environment didn't have these t- toxins within the environment. And in fact, if you want to think of it this way, if you look into a field and there's a cow in the middle of the field, it doesn't emit emissions. In other words, nature itself doesn't emit these things. Everything in our environment is all man-made. So, and over the last 10, 15 years, these man-made things are touching our body. So all of a sudden now, we've seen a, a substantial spike in hypersensitivity of, of body, particularly, by the way, of that 20% greater market um, impacted, 80% of that is women. Well, in the U.S., the, uh, the standard was developed 30 years ago or so for a cell phone and its transmission, <laughs> right? 30 years ago. Uh, and I like to explain 30 years ago when I used to have a cell phone, I had no one to call yeah, because none of my friends had a cell phone, right? And, and so occasional use was every other week I, I'd use my phone and I'd only use it for a couple of minutes because I couldn't afford to pay for my cell phone use. So fast forward today, you have kids using it hours at a time. And, and all of a sudden you have these greater and greater exposures and occasional use was from a few minutes every three months to hours per day. What does that mean? Well, when the stand was creating uh, in the U.S., for example, it was 1.6 watts per kilogram. That's the power level of the signal. And when it's omnidirectional, that's what's going into your head, and that's what's also being transmitted to the cell tower. So how many watts per kilogram? If you 1.6 watts per kilogram. Gotcha. Yeah, that's sort of important to know because mm-hmm. um, that level of energy level was such that it would go into a male brain head by one inch and it would um, heat up that area by two degrees. When you have a microwave oven and, and you take a piece of meat and you put it into the oven and you turn it on, the microwaves hit the water between the cells. They oscillate the cells and they heat up. Mm-hmm. And then I have cooked meat yeah. as a result of it, right? Well, now, when we talk about a signal from a cell phone, that's a RF, radio frequency signal. A microwave signal is 2.3 gigahertz. It's like 2.3 something, right? A cell phone is about two. So it's very close to a microwave signal that cooks your meat. And in fact, a RF signal is a microwave signal. It's a thermal emitting signal. So it's heating up your head by two degrees if you're a six foot male. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go back to your kid's story. You have a child using that same phone. It went into the mail by one inch and it heated up by two degrees. 
goes into a child's head and it goes completely through. It doesn't stop. So if you are a teenager, it goes halfway through. Why? Because the, you, the material around the, the brain is more porous at that point. Uh, so the standards we have that protected a six foot male in no way protects a child. So think about that. In general, when children are exposed to these signals, they're three to four times more susceptible to the signals because their body is so porous. They absorb it much, much more than, than the six foot adult male. All right. So Dan, I want to unpack one of the things you said earlier about aluminum and uh, I think it was in regards to the female body, but also uh, I'm just curious if there's then a relation if you have tattoos, uh, which do have sort of mercury in those things. Is the metal effect or metal concentration in your body make it worse uh, in terms of, you know, radio frequency exposure? Uh, It's unclear I have not seen study work at all in the research community that talks about a direct correlation between mercury. Mm-hmm. What I have seen is that when you're electrically hypersensitive, there are many sort of domains you have to be worried about to try to offset your sensitivity. One is mineral balance. The second is vitamin balance. And, um, and, and the third may be... Um, you know, the condition of the body, driven by your immune system. We, we know, for example, if you have leaky gut, you're more susceptible. Interesting. Yeah, so <laughs> you really want to keep balance because you're more susceptible. And, and that actually leads me to another sort of a subject matter. You know, which we were talking about the breakdown of the cell a, a minute ago, mm-hmm. and we also spoke about systems in the body. Well, your immune system, when exposed to electromagnetic radiation, breaks down. It diminishes. So your body now is more susceptible to the environment more than it was without the exposure. So you gotta watch exposures because they're subtending potential problems as a result of that exposure from other toxins in your environment. Mm-hmm. So Dan, I guess the question on everybody's mind or sort of how do these symptoms manifest themselves? What do they look like? Because I myself, I'm sitting here in sort of a a radio frequency cesspool at this moment. Uh, A lot of people are. How does it manifest itself? How can we sort of know that we are being or we're sensitive to this? And then I guess part two of that question is how do you test for it? Years ago, I used to have a pager because I'm an old guy. I used to use pagers, right? My, 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 where I put it, after about a month, it was hurting my muscles. It was literally bothering my muscle tissue. And I just took it away and I was fine. So there are reactions to the body that are canaries in, in the coal mine. Uh, muscles hurting. Your eyes may hurt. Um, you may get headaches. Um, you may get foggy in your brain. So there are some neurological impacts that, you know, are relatively harmless, but bothersome. But then of course, then you have the more serious conditions like ADHD. This has even been, there's been exposures and study work on Alzheimer's as being triggered by excess exposure to the brain. I would love to see that study. Oh yeah, they're actually, several. What's interesting is it's not what I would consider statistically significant. That is, you can't say based on this study, it's 90%, 95% confident that the data you saw is accurate, mm-hmm. right? In other words, I need a very large population to conclude that it's the linkage. So we don't have 10,000 children we're exposing. We have 100 children were exposing. So there's a lot of the studies that are substantial today. There's the, every way you look, research is confirming studies that link symptoms to the body as a result of exposures. Mm-hmm. And we know that 
if you look at the metadata, the, the data of several of them, they oftentimes correlate. And so even though we don't have a large statistical sample, we do have metadata from samples. But which somewhat interesting about that, by the way, um, th there's been epidemiology studies in the US. Um, the US government national toxicity program spent $25 million and they radiated a large population and they said, <laughs> who's gonna die? And, and this was epidemiology. So there was the rats, male, female. And, and so they exposed the rats to it. Fairly large population, well-defined study. Uh, they did a good job. And what they found was there was an increase of frontal lobal cancers and heart cancers. We, the heart actually was interesting to all of us. We had never correlated that from the research I had looked at. So they had that. Um, now this pretty conclusive evidence, pretty statistically significant, that is, it, rep it can be replicable um, because the populations are so large. And so um, there is that kind of data, which is a fairly odd. And then there was a Ramazzoni, uh, actually in Italy, a Ramazzoni Institute. Um, they did an epidemiology study too um, this past year. And theirs was even a larger study. And what they did, uh, they actually took um, partners, uh, there were about 10 or so uh, countries that got together in this study, and all their science groups went in and evaluated and, and ran this study, and they came up with the same conclusions as natural toxicity. So we know, at the very least, there's direct correlations between frontal lobe cancers and heart conditions or heart cancers. Now, some of us are not that surprised because you probably know somebody in your own life who's had a frontal lobe cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Statistically, we know over the last 10 years worldwide that there's been a 2% increase per year compounded every year on frontal lobe cancers. So there's a direct correlation to statistical data we know. And then we have these laboratory study works that correlate that kind of data. So we're getting more and more knowledge of the direct relationships to exposures, uh, more so than we've had in the last 10 years. Okay, so all of this, thank you for sharing, by the way, because this is really, really important for people to understand. Yep. But uh, all of this begs one question, uh, because you mentioned that the telecoms or cell phone uh, regulations were 30 years old. Why hasn't anything changed? And obviously, the the gigahertz, and we're talking five G now. Uh, like yeah, everything we have is. To talk about five G. Okay? We 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 are going to talk about five G, <laughs> but because <laughs> that's going to be absolutely crazy. But right. why why what is going on that nothing has changed? Well, here's a point of fact: the industry you're talking about is seventeen trillion dollars. It's huge. Right? And, and so, as a lobbying group, they're pretty powerful in the marketplace. <laughs> Let's get into 5G, because okay. this, is, this is a very important topic, and you hear guys like Jack Cruz talking about it. You hear uh, myself, I talk about it all the time, and try to actively avoid places that are testing it. But do you mind just talking about what the potential impacts of this? Because you, you already said that there's a 2% year-on-year compounding rate of frontal lobe cancer, right? And obviously, if we increase the frequency, something's going to happen. What can we expect from 5G? Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson on signaling. It's all my right? favorite, favorite subject, so. Yeah, <laughs> signaling. What is radio frequency, electromagnetic radiation, what is RF being used to the cell tower? And the standard was set up about 30 years ago, as we said. It was an analog signal. Analog means there's a wave and it's constant. So back then, when you used your cell phone, the constant load to the cell didn't have the same effect as the later design signals. And let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Between 2 and 4G, 
you actually created a digital signal. That is, we use algorithms to look at the voice, convert the voice, and put it onto a carrier rate of electromagnetic radiation, RF frequency. It carries that digital signal. Mm -hmm. So what's that mean? What that means is when your cell phone is used next to your head, it's not a constant load. It's a digital on-off, on-off, on-off. So what does that mean? If I go back to my engineering days in mechanical engineering, I would look at if I take a piece of concrete and I take a 10,000 pound steel bar load onto that concrete and it's constant, it would do nothing. It wouldn't break the, it wouldn't break the concrete. But the moment I take it up and I push it down, I take it up, I push it down, I'll break the concrete. So all of a sudden the load levels to the cell are very different than they were when they were an analog signal. So it is now a jackhammer that's hitting the cell wall. So that's different than the analog. Now let's talk about 5G. 5G is, our cell phones are around two gigahertz. Okay, what is a gigahertz? Yeah, let's go into that. Let, let's, let's talk about what, it, what is that? Well, a hertz is one, sine wave per second. That's a hertz. A megahertz is one million waves per second. A one gigahertz is one billion waves per second. One billion. The standard that's likely rolled out over the next few years for 5G is around 23 gigahertz. 23 gigahertz means there's 23 billion per second. So all of a sudden, you're about a third, not quite a third, of a X-ray signal. That's microwave electromagnetic radiation. And an X-ray is a terahertz. It's the next one up. Right? So what's the difference in a terahertz versus a gigahertz? Well, you've heard of the cell. When you go to the dentist and, and they, uh, they put this heavy thing on top of you and they stick this thing right next to your teeth and they run into the other room, they're running because it's an x-ray that can actually take the ion and knock the ion out of its rotation to the, uh, the atom, and it's called an ionized radiation. You're gonna die you know, right away after only a few minutes of exposure. So you really, really run fast. Well, the, the 5Gs, uh, technologies that are planned to be almost 100 gigahertz, that's a roughly a third, a little bit less than a third of an ionized radiation signal. So now all of a sudden you have all this more power and there's another thing you have. Let's go back to the, the, um, the jackhammer. Um, look, your wife says to you, I want that kiddie pool filled in real fast. So you bring a hose and you start filling that hose, uh, the pool. Your wife says, look, I want it done by today. I want the kids in the pool today. So you take a second hose and you put it in. So you're doing twice as much volume of water than you were with one hose. What is that known as? It's um, multiple in, multiple out. In 5G, it's not a single pulsing digital signal. It's two. So now all of a sudden where you had only one, now you have two. Do we know the impact of that? Absolutely not. Do we project it to be a problem? Absolutely. We already know the trend. We know from the analog to the digital, and now we're increasing those speeds by that much more. We know it's a problem. Here's something else we know. Because it's so fast, it can't go very far. So 
where I used to have a cell phone tower five miles away from your house, now it's a block away from your house. It's 850 feet from your house. What's the problem with that? Well, this is what we know. When you have a cell phone tower and you're within a thousand feet of a cell phone tower, you're three times more likely cancer than outside that ring. And all of these, all of these are in scientific studies proven and all that kind of yeah, stuff, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. There are actually um, the bio initiative is a worldwide initiative of scientists. And what they do is they look at all the current data and they and they uh, release that data annually. And they really do a wonderful job of informing all of us what's the most latest research studies that are available and the things we need to be thinking about. Um, so, um, and of course we have so many individuals um, from, Switzerland, uh, from Sweden, for example, Dr. Oli Johansson, which is somebody we, we, we know and he actually uh, commented on our book. He, he, he wrote, we sent him the book, he read it and he said, I actually learned what this stuff's about. <laughs> he, he didn't know the electrical side. He only knew the medical side. So we, we helped him understand that space in a simple way. As you point out, our book's fairly easy to understand. It's very easy to understand. And, you know, I, I highly recommend it to everybody because what I like about your book, Dan, is that it's very scientific based. Everything is scientific based and it allows me to get very comfortable with this because um, and I want to get to sort of how we can protect ourselves from this because uh, the first thing that people hear when they hear EMF or think of is kind of the tinfoil man, right? And uh, it, it deserves a sort of rebranding, if you will, because there's a lot of woo in the space. So before before getting into this though on the 5G side or i guess yeah on the 5G side since this seems like it's coming and we can't really do anything about it how do we protect ourselves and i guess part b of that is how do we protect ourselves in general on a daily basis uh, i i do have guidelines for that and i'll i'll talk about that in a second i got to tell you a story though i i have a neurologist we work with out in uh, portland which is the other side of the states I'm on the East Coast, he's on the West Coast. And one Saturday morning, I get a phone call from him. And he said, I came into my new place and my eyes started hurting. I started immediately getting headaches. What is going on? He suspected there was emissions within the house. So I said, go look at your router and tell me what it says. It turned out it was a 5G router. So immediately, I, he was electrically hypersensitive. So immediately I said, he's feeling symptoms of exposure. And, and for him, um, there was an immediate body response to that exposure. So um, of course, I'm not, that, that was a prelude to me of what kind of environment we're gonna have in the very near future with this. Um, as a side note, I like to tell the story of why this is good for some. Yeah, let's 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 paint a picture of the the roses, so to speak. Yeah, let's say why it's good for some. You decided you want to be a you want to be a service provider. You want to get broadband access services to all your friends and family throughout the entire world. That's that's your your goal. So you look at your operating plant and you say, God, that wire stuff is so expensive to keep up. I gotta go around that wire stuff. It's too expensive. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put a cell tower 850 feet, one after the other, and I'm gonna bypass all that cable with wireless technology. And, and by the way, I'm also gonna, you know, those cable companies that, that they've been eating my lunch a little bit uh, because they have broadband video that's available, right? I can beat them now. They're gonna be encumbered by the cable plant. I won't be. So your business now can bypass and reduce operating costs, provide that service. 
So as a businessman, you're very, very motivated to do that. So that's good for them. For us who are not service provided like you, I get all the video I need. The internet of things was what they refer to as the great bastion of years to come as a result of having this technology. But I look at my cell phone, I call people, I watch videos when I want, I can interconnect with others. So for me, I'm not sure there's any real advantages to my lifestyle at all. So why should I be motivated to do it? I'm not so motivated to do it. But those who are and those who benefit are the service providers. So this major thrust in the $17 trillion industry is being driven by money. It's, it's not more complicated than that. So um, they get better economy of scale. They increase the bandwidth to the service uh, the, to, to the customer, and they beat out competition with their investment. So I, I get I very much get the economic side of it, and I understand now from speaking with you, reading your book, and following you for a while, uh, the potential health implications of it. When I listen to all of this and I see the progression of 5G and technology, what kind of comes to mind is, maybe I should censor this, but like, hey, we're screwed, right? So how as a human, other than me running off to a buddy's farm in Romania that does not have wireless or something like that, how as a human do you protect yourself? Because this is, this is coming. We're probably not going to avoid it, but we need to protect ourselves. Um, yeah. Um, I just want to give you one more sense of impact to the body before we go on and talk about that, because it's sort of important. Okay. We, we, we talked about um, damaged DNA. Well, if you're a 12-year-old girl and you put your cell phone in your pants pocket, what can happen? There can be cell damage in the double-stranded DNA, and it can heal, but it's now a mutated cell. That mutated cell could be in the egg of that female. And so there is great concern that the more we have exposures like this, and the more we are careless uh, where we put these devices, there is more likelihood of us having even worse conditions. Some, some argue, and this is scientific argument, by the way, it's not general practical, this is, this is scientific argument. They're arguing subtending generations will now have mutated cells that end up in their subtending generations. And, and, and we don't know what that impact will be. I'll go back to Dr. Court, he had a, a patient who is a very um, current um, female in the business environment, and she had lots of technology around her. And they found damaged DNA in the child that she bore that only lasted a very short period of time. So he called me up and he said, I can't believe you predicted this. And we did, because when you put a cell phone neck into your pants, you have constant exposures. It's not just transient exposure. It's constant exposure. And that constant exposure can damage DNA. And we know it does damage DNA. So you really have to start thinking about your environment. That leads me to the other part. And I'm going to ask you a question now. Um, what do you do? Well, what you do is simple. Actually, simple. It's Think about it in the context of one bee won't kill you. If a, you have a bee in a room and he stings you, you're going to be all right. You're, gonna, you're, you're not going to die. But if you have a thousand bees in the room, you can die from all those bees. Now, let's say that one bee is a transmitter, a Wi-Fi transmitter, a cell phone transmitter a Bluetooth transmitter, a, uh, a light bulb in your room, 
So now all of a sudden you start looking at each device, electronic device within your environment, and you have to think of them as a B. A cell phone has three Bs. No, actually four Bs. It has the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and, um, and the cell tower connection, plus there's a digital byproduct being transmitted, extremely low frequency stuff, at, um, it's, it's a small amount, but it's a constant load as a byproduct of that operating. So you have four Bs with that one device, and it's right next to you. So with that in mind, you start thinking about how do I reduce the number of Bs in the room? What do I do? I take the router and I put it into the garage. Simply by taking it away and putting it into another room, all of a sudden my dangers are substantially reduced. Um, I don't need the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth turned on on my cell phone, so I turn them off. Now I only have one. Um, the laptop I use all day, rather than having a Wi-Fi connection, I get an Ethernet connection. I eliminate that as a source of emissions within the environment I'm living in. So you have to go through every piece of technology within your environment and reduce the number where you can. In fact, at night, when you have a Wi-Fi, what I have is a, uh, it, it, it's a, um, a clock that turns it on and off, it switches on and off. So when I go to bed at night, I turn my, all the technology off around me and they automatically come back on in the morning when I'm alive. So, so that exposure is truly minimized, more so in my environment, because of simple actions. Now here's the rule of thumb. When you have a cell phone against your head or anything against your body, that's when it's most dangerous. Believe it or not, you take it one foot away from you, 80% of the danger's gone from this to the cell. In other words, from an engineering perspective, it's a logarithmic function of power level that drops really, really fast. So when you have it one foot away, you're 80%. By four foot, 98. So anything that's four foot or more away from you is far more safe than if it was closer. So in your minimizing the number of bees in the room, you further diminish exposure potential by simply moving stuff away from you. I have to watch my, cell, my telephone, uh, tel, uh, my TV, four foot or closer, because I can't see very well. <laughs> but, but, you know, you really do want to be 10 or more foot away. You really want to make sure you're safe. That's a, a be in the room. And if you have one of these boxes, like an Amazon box or other device that converts the IP that's coming into the de device and you're watching TV from this little box, don't use a Wi-Fi transmitter on it. Use the Ethernet connection to it. Reduce that exposure. So it's really methodical. You go and you look for all your sources, wire them where you can, eliminate them where you don't need them. For example, with the cell phone I mentioned before, you don't have to have the cell phone on with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. I never have them on. Why would I want them on when I use my cell phone? I don't need them most of the time. So why do you have them on? That's three Bs. Take two of them away, you only have one B. That's slightly less dangerous than others. The other thing you want to think about is it's not just the distance, but it's duration. If, if you pick up your phone and you use it for five minutes and you put it down, there's extremely, extremely unlikely you're going to have a problem ever. But if you pick up that phone and you use it hours at a time, you may be one of those who fall into the statistics of frontal brain cancer. It's literally the duration of time you're exposed makes it worse and worse. And, and that if, if you think back at what I described to you before, what happens to a cell, that's what happens. The cell gets on getting beat by the digital signal, and then all of a sudden uh, the calcium penetrates. Once that happens, you can't recover that cell.
and the body will do that. So with that, uh, just on the, when you're talking about use for hours at a time, are you talking about to the head or just in general? Because if you're looking at your screen, text messaging, isn't it the same as being on a computer, so to speak? It's much safer simply okay. by that distance. Okay. Think of it this way. If you have a cell phone to your head, that's the worst condition. Gotcha. If you put it in your hand and you use speakerphone, much, much more safe. If you use a wired earbuds, that's much, much more safe. Um, so it's how you use your technology around you. So you're a big fan of the Bluetooth wireless headphone movement, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, the Bluetooth is a transmitter. It goes 30 feet. It is an RF signal. People think like, holy mackerel, I can use this fancy new stuff. I had a yoga teacher. And, and, and she came and she showed me this fancy little wrist thing that was transmitting all the time to her cell phone. And she said, see this nice thing I got? I said, what are you, crazy? Uh, you know, you know I'm, a, I'm an expert in this stuff. Why would you expose your body mm -hmm. unless you had to, to that emission? It's low level. Uh, and I, let me tell you about low level. In the laboratory, we know that um, varying degrees of power level may have a different impact. But let me give you an example. If you have a blood-brain barrier breakdown, that 1.6 watts per kilogram can be dot one kilogram, 15 times smaller in power level, and it can mutate the cell. So you really wanna be careful mm -hmm. about low level. And um, a uh, uh, Bluetooth is, dot six watts per kilogram. So you really don't want this stuff near your body if you can prevent. Sounds like I'm going to go pick up a pair of Defender Shield headphones after this. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> well, that's why I did it. You know, I said, uh, you know, you know, for those who want to understand that, I knew that even low-level stuff can be bothering. And if you're hypersensitive, you can't put a cell phone to your head, many of us. Mm -hmm. And so I had to sort of find a way of fixing. So what I did, is I took it, I took the wire coming out of the, uh, the phone and I converted it to a speaker. And then I put a tube to the earbud, which is an acoustical coupling. And I eliminated all the electronics. So mm -hmm. it goes to your ear, you hear really well, and you're safe. So there are ways of trying to reduce the exposures. And we'll definitely link to this and all of the Defender Shield products and in the show notes. Now, I guess one more question, since we are now seeing, I guess, particularly in the U.S., or at least that's where I see the data from, a plummeting of testosterone in among males. How much of this is related to electronics versus sort of the stresses of an everyday lifestyle? Well, re remember, um, oxidative stress to the cell comes from any toxin, right? Yeah. So there's the, we definitely have a changing environment. But let me, let me answer your specific question, and I'll tell you it by a story. Um, five years ago, my sons, who are adults, had their laptops on their lap for three to four hours every day doing work while they were visiting on a holiday. My wife looks at them and says, I want grandchildren. That can't be good for you. That's what she said, right? So I thought about it a little bit, and I, I used to run technical laboratories for very very sophisticated electronics. So I, I thought about it a little bit and I said, well, I know what it can potentially be. I'm not sure it can. And so I began investigating the, and research on the subject. Back then, even then, we knew after three to four hours, 25% of the, the male sperm was immobile. It wouldn't function. And that's not talking about long term. We know long-term that debilitating constant load can be long-term and it may increase beyond that 25%. So to answer your question, don't put a laptop near your lap <laughs> unless you don't want children. Yeah, I guess the same goes for cell phones, right? You probably don't want Yeah, them. you don't want it near your cell phone, right? And by the way, I don't have grandchildren yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <But> Interesting. <laughs> I build a product to protect my boys, but I still have grandchildren. <laughs> Someday in the near future, hopefully. So right, hopefully. Uh, just on 
there's two more points I want to get to. And the first is like everybody carries the cell phone in their pocket. Is there anything you can do aside from getting like the protective defender shield case to prevent that radio frequency from going into your skin? Like, do you face the screen outwards? What do you do? There's two ways of doing it. The first is put it on airplane mode. Mm -hmm. You do that. You're fine. It's not transmitting, although it does occasionally transmit. Yeah. Right. Um, So, but that's far more safe than constantly on. If you choose to do that, find a technology that shields that emission. So it doesn't pass through to your body. It still touches the tower, but doesn't touch your body. Um, You really want to be looking for managing that device around your body. And I mentioned the male. 25%. 25%. But we also know that they have tumor, 2% of a large population 10 years ago of exposed females uh, to the groin area. We know there was 2% increase in tumors, of which a small percent of that was cancerous. So, women, you may not just worry about the egg that we spoke about before having a mutated cell, but you also may want to think about the potential dangers of the soft tissue within your womb as becoming cancerous. And and by the way, that's generally true about these emissions. Um, It's the softest of tissue that's most exposed. Like if you put a a cell phone in your hand and it's there all day, you're never going to die of a cancer of the hand. It's just really robust. it's not going to break down so readily. But the frontal lobe, which is the softest part of the tissue, your breast is soft. Your groin is soft. Anywhere where there's the softest of tissue, you really want to try to avoid. Mm-hmm. And you do cover the particularly the breast one. I know there's a study of that in the book, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes. But uh, Daniel, this, is, this has been super helpful. Now, I think one of the common issues people have when understanding emf is sort of the that tinfoil image the woo side of things Uh, how do you differentiate if you were doing research on this yourself as sort of a listener of this podcast how do you differentiate the good products from the bad products because there are quite a lot of the latter out there yeah that's a very good question uh, by the way, the reason why that aluminum works so well, it's a conductor. Mm-hmm. So when you have that power of a cell a RF signal hitting it, it actually shields that, believe it or not. <laughs> so I think you should go get an aluminum hat and you'll be fine. <laughs> but it's really legitimately true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about if I were going to select a company that is producing anything for that matter, about something that's protecting me, I would look for a third-party assessment of my product. I would look for a scientific description and independent study that substantiates the claim of that product. If there is none, it, I would be suspicious. Um, it is pretty important. There are, in all sorts of industries, um, you know, we, we talked about mineral before. There are so many mixes of minerals that conflict with the vitamins within the minerals. They contradict each other and to the value of the body. So you, if you're thinking about any of those kinds of products, look for those independent studies if they have it. If you're looking for a technology that protects you from an emission, a toxin within the environment, you want to make sure that there's an independent study that substantiates their claim. Um, uh, I personally see, I'm asked this question all the time, and there are so many things that have existed for a long, long time that have absolutely no scientific evidence whatsoever. So it's a placebo at most. Maybe that's what you're looking for, but always look for independent research about the sub, the product. And then 
I guess one subset of that, that question is uh, Kirkland photography seems to come up a lot in this area. Is it useful? What it, I, I don't quite understand it, so I figured I'd ask you. Actually, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure how you would think of it. it, it, it it's not mainstream um, medicine. It's fringe. I had a, a friend of mine, she's a biochemist, and she went in the morning at seven o'clock in the morning and had a test done. And she was vibrant at that point. And then at the end of the day, working a full day, she had to test it again and turned out she was vibrant. And I said, that can't be true. You're grouchy at five o'clock. So, <laughs> so I, in other words, there should have been a bio, biological adjustment um, that should have occurred that wasn't being detected. So in that case, it did nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and the ability to um, isolate weaknesses of the body, th th that system is almost anecdotal. It doesn't really look at the details so it sufficiently would understand. Like, for example, I would have to test the, the hair. I would have to test blood. I would have to look at the genetics mm -hmm. to make the decisions they make, mm -hmm. to be precise. So to answer your question, I'm not sure I've seen scientific evidence that substantiates claims. Th that's what I figured. But I have to ask the question because I, I can't back into it, but it's a claim that a lot of people make. So. I, I understand. Mm -hmm. I know it. And again, when I looked at research in that area, there was none. There was no, there was no collaborative evidence from the scientific community um, on any claim. So in general, if you do not see that independent study work from a viable, for example, when I did my testing for my technology products I have, I went to an FCC laboratory, an independent laboratory, and said, does it work or not? You tell me. And what we talk about with the products we offer, it, it's based on what they said, not what I said. And that's pretty important to me. You really want to have accuracy in your claims. And most that I see, particularly in the EMF industry, do not have that kind of regimen in their um, that scientific, yeah, the scientific discipline, uh, it's oftentimes hard to find. That's yeah. In yeah. sort of my general, my general assessment and, and, of it. And this, as a side note, you never, ever, ever look for secondary impacts. Like, for example, I, I can show you, if I take a cell phone, I put my hand up, and I keep that away from me, and you push my hand down, you're going to have a hard time doing it. I'm a strong guy. Mm -hmm. If I take a cell phone, put it near my heart, you can push my hand down fairly easily. We know that the RF signal is interfering with the, the electrical circuits within the body, right? We know that. So to make a claim that I have a device that changes that means virtually nothing. It's an indirect approach for substantiating a claim. Either it's there or not, in the form it should be or not. It's it's simple scientific study. It's very simple. Dan, three last questions that I ask everybody, actually four, because I want you to talk a little bit about the products that you offer and where people can find them. But the first question I have is, uh, maybe you just answered it, but uh, your biggest pet peeve about the health industry? Oh, misdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. Treat the symptom, not the cause. Um, and I'll give you an antidotal story. I had, uh, we have a, a ultraviolet light will cause cancer of the skin. We know that. You know, you go out too long, you burn your skin. There's a lot of well-known and understanding. But yellow light does nothing to your skin. So there's a spectrum of light. And on one side, you have it pretty dangerous. On the other side, it doesn't bother you at all. So, and, and by the way, light is electromagnetic radiation. It's just in the middle of the spectrum. 
it's a continuum of from uh, the gigahertz to the terahertz. It's there in the middle of it. So blue light, which is right next to the micro, uh, ultraviolet, is the next strongest light component. That can bother the eye. That actually can, that can uh, generate degenerative, premature degenerative. Uh, um, is it astigmatism or is it just no, 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 mac no. macular degeneration? Yeah, right, exactly, okay. macular degeneration, right? Okay. But what you also should know is it actually creates dry eye. Interesting. It's so like, so I had a, a colleague of mine, they were telling me that she had dry eye. So I sent them a glass. I, I shield, I cut out the blue component of a signal. So when you're looking at a screen, you don't see it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it's not there. And so she put them on. For 20 years, she's been taking drops. No she put drops. the glasses on within hours. She didn't have the strained eye. She didn't need to dry it. They were wet. And so misdiagnosis in a current environment we live in is one of the pet peeves I have. Mm -hmm. And blue light in particular, it screws and with everything. blue light in particular because we know it bothers people. <sighs> it screws with your sleep cycles too. People need yeah. to. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, that's pretty important stuff. Mm -hmm. What? what and we haven't talked about melatonin as one of the systems impacted, but it does. It impacts melatonin. In other words, you're not going to sleep quite right. What happens from that? Well, your biorhythm screwed up. And after that, there's cascading evidence of other things that occur, right? So it was simply a little bit of sleep deprivation ends up being a real serious problem. And when you use um, a screen and there's blue light, it's mucking around with your, uh, your, all your body systems. And it definitely has an impact and you won't be able to sleep. If you've done it at 11 o'clock and went to bed and you can't sleep, that's why. Yeah. It, there's a whole field of circadian biology that's doing a yeah. lot of good studies. No question on this about stuff. it. I agree. Uh, second question is, what is your favorite trick to enhance your own focus? Um, actually, um, I have things in my life where um, they were very, very peaceful moments. So I go back to those peaceful moments. I'm something like a mini um, um, meditation. And I come back strong after it. So I actually do that quite often where, you know, I'm stressed out about something. I'll, I'll go back to that time, that space which is a very calming space for me. Mm -hmm. And it tends to calm me down. That's great. That's great. Uh, second to last question is, is favorite book on peak performance. Actually, I don't have a favorite. You know, it, with, with me, it's I'm always trying to investigate and finding fascination with the subject. And it's always changing in time. So for me, I, I don't have a, a specific one I would say is my choice. It's I'm always looking for the future one that's coming and I typically find it. What's your current favorite one? I don't have one okay. actually, believe it or not. I don't. Oh, that's fine. Uh, in general, is there any book that sort of inspires you in terms of leadership or what you've done? <laughs> believe it or not, I I, I, read, I read books very quickly, yeah. and I'm, I'm not always necessarily interested in the subject, except for Little Women. I, I, met, I read it like 30 years ago, mm -hmm. and it was like, for an engineer to... to, to uh, what, what's the name of the book again? Little Women. Okay. Been around for a hundred and some odd years, mm -hmm. since from the Civil War, right? So, and it was the lives of women. Uh, from their birth to their death. It was mm -hmm. sort of an interesting, interesting. relationships and how people saw I've been like. So to me, it was sort of an interesting book to read. Beautiful. And Dan, final question for you is, if people want to find out more about you uh, and what you're doing, but also to read the book, where can they find it? Um, the, the best place to go is DefendTheShield.com. Um, DefendTheShield.com, you'll actually get a, 
we we actually have current scientific community study work in one area. So if you want to learn more about the subject and what's current in the environment, you can actually go there and you can learn a lot about the subject. And uh, we have a podcast, uh, excuse me, a uh, Facebook uh, component to that. Every day we post what's going on in the market, what's going on in the scientific community. To us, that's very important stuff. And there's a lot of really, really good stuff coming out over the last several years. And so um, you can find that. And we have a series of products, which are products that I've developed uh, from originally when I, when I, my sons were using the device, I actually went out trying to find something that had the spectrum of shielding and I couldn't find it in the industry. So what I did was I created a product for them. Their friends wanted them, their friends' friends wanted them. So I started building these products for you know everyone around us. And then one day my son said, why don't you build more for others? I said, well, I'm not in this business, but, but okay, let's make a thousand of them and see what happens. So we made a thousand, we invested in and um, we sold a thousand. And so I said, I guess we're in business. That was the starting point. Um, fast forward to today, we have cell phone, tablet, uh, we have earbuds uh, with the acoustical link, we have glasses, uh, we have baby blankets coming out, we have, we, have, we have all sorts of stuff we're trying to come out with to try to help people just protect themselves yeah. and, their, and the environment they live in. Well, Dan, thank you so much for what you do. I, I do, as I showed you before the show, own the cell phone case as well as the laptop sleeve. So uh, it's brilliant. I'm not particularly EMS sensitive, but I know from your third-party testing that it's doing a great job. So thank you for creating your products. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for inviting me today. I really do enjoy talking about this subject matter. And I really do think it's important that people at least be aware of their environment. Absolutely. And then they can make intelligent choices. And by reading the book and other subject matter, you need to be more informed. So you make intelligent choices for your life. So thank you again for inviting us. Dan, thank you for coming on. And to all the superhumans out there listening, have a great day. All right, superhumans. Did you enjoy that one? Did you enjoy the show? Well, if you did, can I ask a huge, huge superhuman favor of you? Can you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating? It really helps get the word out on Decoding Superhuman and what we're doing here. And secondly, if you have any feedback on the show, any guests you want to see, any topics you want covered please feel free to email me at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. For those of you who have taken advantage of it, you know I respond to every email. So thank you so much for your feedback and have an epic day, superhumans. Remember as always, choose health.